0: And what I did say was I would expect an eighth grader to do his or her best. That's the only thing that even makes sense at all.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudoua So, Andrew, have you ever bought a T-shirt that is a one-size-fits-all or anything that's a one-size-fits-all? No. Well... <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I buy T-shirts that fit. Right. So that I can wear shirts that fit over them.
1: I'm always suspect when I see... A size that Mm. says one size fits all. Yeah, it's
0: like a grocery bag uh, burlap (laughs) sack would be a one size fits all.
1: Exactly. Well, and I do actually have a dress that is a one size fits all, but it's a lace up so I can tighten it or loosen it Mm. as I need to. So
0: I heard the most sweet little fact about during the Depression, people had nothing. And Mm. so women would get the burlap sacks from like grain. Wow. And make clothes mm-hmm. for their children. Yeah. And when the grain distributors found that about this, they started printing nice patterns oh. on the burlap sacks.
1: Was this? What, well, these were flour sacks, not burlap. Flour. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Because no, burlap. Burlap would be... would be rough
0: on this. Game. Yeah. Flour sack. Mm-hmm. But I thought, well, you know, that's just people working together to make mm-hmm. a hard time a little better for yeah. everyone. Yeah. I like that.
1: So, and of course. I know that you know where this is going, but I'm sure our listeners are completely puzzled about why I would be talking about clothing and one size fits all. Well,
0: because we're coming out with a new t shirt line with a <laughs> famous Andrew Poudawa quote. No. That's a one, one size, size fits, fits all. all.
1: <laughs> no, we're not doing no, that. No, we're
0: never doing that.
1: But I know that you say about our writing program when you teach children or students, you use the same. Methodology, it's just a matter of the reading level of the source text and the speed. So in a way, our methodology is a one-size-fits-all. Can you actually say what you really said that I would probably totally butchered? Well, sure.
0: You know, sometimes in the conversation, people want to know, well, what do I need for my nth grader? Mm -hmm. Or what do I need in this particular class that I'm teaching? And I give them some suggestions, but then I say, you know, but it it flexes up or down. I teach pretty much the same thing to everyone, whether they're in second grade or graduate school. It's a question of sophistication of the reading source text and the content and the ideas and then the speed. But it's, you know, go back to the pathway of playing the violin. I would start everyone with twinkle, twinkle, little star and variations – I wouldn't say, oh, you're older, so you have to skip the first five steps in this. That wouldn't make sense in terms of learning the repertoire and gaining the advantages that that offers. Mm -hmm. So that's why we pretty much start at the beginning in terms of method with everyone.
1: Right, right. So there, you said it's so much better than I Well, do, I have so practiced. <laughs> yes, I suppose you have. You do
0: other things much better than me, <laughs> like watching my videos.
1: I do watch your videos. And dear listener, Andrew does not like to watch his videos. So if he has anything negative to say about his videos, well, he's not saying it with actual knowing <laughs> what's on the videos because he's never actually watched them. So and insert plug for Structure and Style for Students and how amazing they are. Okay, end of commercial. So, Andrew, in light of the fact that you teach our program is for any age, any aptitude, it's just, and you you just start Units 1 and 2, and even if they've done it for a couple years, the students have done it for a couple years, you circle back to Units 1 and 2 and going through the nine units with different source text, with different content, with a little bit different stylistic checklist. So what is the benefit then of someone new to IEW starting when the children are younger versus starting when they're, you know, ready to graduate from high school?
0: Well you have more time, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of the same question, are there benefits to starting younger in playing a musical instrument, or learning a foreign language, or learning to paint or draw, or a- any skill, you know, when you're a little younger, you just have a higher aptitude for acquiring a na- a more natural facility. Mm-hmm. But it's never too late. I had a conversation with someone who retired in a career as a professional violinist to homeschool her children. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she kept teaching and playing, but she missed the international travel and the spotlight and all that. But she didn't start playing the violin until she was 10 years old, I think, you know, which in the world people might think, well, how could you ever become really, really good when you're up against kids who start at five? So there's so many other factors involved. People do ask me, that's probably one of the most common questions, well, when could we start with your program? Mm -hmm. And my answer is usually... You know, in a practical sense, when a child can read somewhat independently and copy words somewhat accurately and attempts to write sentences, that's showing a good readiness. Mm -hmm. Now, for some kids, that may be six years old. I've met them. For other kids, it may not be till they're 10 years old. Right. I had one. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, it's, I think it's very, reasonable for people to look at readiness mm-hmm. rather than age or grade mm-hmm. which are really kind of artificial constructs. Right. And you know, and then the question is once you get started what is appropriate to the maturity and interests of that child.
1: And so let let's if you don't mind I'd like to just talk about that in terms of expectations. What can a parent or teacher of a six or seven-year-old expect versus what they could expect for older students. Can you just kind of go through child development and what kind of expectations you would have for writing?
0: Well, again, I don't like saying six or seven years old, but mm-hmm. we'll we'll say stage one of readiness okay. as I described it. Yes. Can read a little bit, can copy words and try to make sentences. Mm-hmm. Well, Hopefully, what you could expect is that the child would respond positively to the content in the source text. That they would be able to keep up as you model things. And mm-hmm. anyone who's been through our, you know, training course or watched me teach or anything knows that, you know, we begin with imitation. Right. I'm going to do it all together. Mm-hmm. You know, with with a child or with a group of children. As, as long as it takes until they actually start saying, hey, I got it. Leave me alone.
1: Mm-hmm. Insert four deadly errors talk where you talk a little bit about that. Right. Not withholding yeah, withholding
0: The deadly error of withholding help. Mm-hmm. And I think we all too often jump into that idea of, oh, no, if I help them, they won't be learning mm-hmm. because they won't be figuring it out on their own. Right. But our experience is just the opposite. If you don't help them enough, that's when they're not learning because they're not figuring it out on their own because they don't have the experience and tools resources right. yet. But, you know, in the beginning, it's it's kind of a charming time because the children are in that imaginative world. They're not necessarily bound by the rules of reality and logic the way mm-hmm. we are when we get older. And so there's kind of a delight in in doing that
1: and they love their teacher so i taught that that age group and i just loved it they were so ready to learn Mm -hmm. they you know their maturity their their fine motor skills were becoming they were becoming more proficient and they loved me it was so lovely i just loved teaching first and second well i'm
0: sure they also loved you because you were just a natural encourager (laughs) and you had a lovely smile and so just. And
1: I knew how to wrangle those boys. Yes. <laughs> right, right. I actually had a parent of one of those boys say to me, Julie, I bet you're going to have many boys as a parent. And sure enough, I have three boys. Well, I have
0: always thought God only gives boys to the moms that can handle them easily. <laughs> <laughs> we had six girls and one boy. And... <laughs> but so there is that kind of, I don't know if you want to call it honeymoon period. Yeah. Where your expectations are pretty simple, mm-hmm. like, do this with me. Mm-hmm. And so that relaxedness allows the child to be comfortable and happy. And as long as the source text follow the rules at or below the reading level. So Which is
1: n- actually kind of hard to find source text that well, easy. Sometimes
0: it just mm-hmm. depends on the student. I mean, we've kind of specialized in trying to collect and create source text that is true. fall into that.
1: Insert plug for Bible heroes and people and places in our community. <laughs> yeah, and you know
0: even the SSS source text. Mm-hmm. I mean, we the source text is at or below the reading level and has some kind of appeal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've talked before about you know capturing the imagination of boys with things that are a little bit wild, maybe a little bit disgusting, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit humorous, maybe a little dangerous. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, I think all children, they they are living an adventure.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, when you're five years old, waking up in the morning, you don't know what's going to happen to you that day. Right. Your schedule is wide open. Right. Yeah, there's people who are going to try to move you here and make you do this or that. But even that's an adventure. Mm-hmm. And so there's that kind of sense of wonder. Mm-hmm. And we want to capitalize on that mm-hmm. whenever possible.
1: Yep. Exactly.
0: Also, you know, we're just happy whatever they do. (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, you think about a child learning to talk and they say something that doesn't quite make sense. Mm -hmm. Well, you don't get all upset about it. It's just, hey, they're learning to talk. Mm -hmm. They say things that don't quite make sense. I was like that. You were like Mm -hmm. that. And who knows? We may get to that point again at the very end of our life.
1: It's <laughs> true. Uh,
0: so it's just part of the human condition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as they get older, they gradually start to make more sense. Mm-hmm. But that isn't necessarily a predictable, controllable, scheduled development. Right. And uh, I've even caught myself saying a few things that don't necessarily make sense Um <laughs> depending on the context and the circumstances. Sure. But uh, you know, as they get older, our idea of what is appropriate or, or what are our goals for this student mm-hmm. gradually do change.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, okay, so now they're a little older, maybe a little wiser, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and maybe they're new to IEW or maybe they've done it for a couple years. Are your expectations going to change?
0: Well, I tend to err on the side of, you know, Webster's edict. We can Mm -hmm. go back to that. Hands-on structure and style, hands-off content. I'm really happy if I see that they're learning the rules and Mm -hmm. following the model and checking things off on the checklist and getting their parts of speech right so they underline an L-Y adverb and it truly is one, and Mm -hmm. they underline a strong verb and it is one. Um, And
1: you do this in the SSS, which I love watching you teach grammar kind of like accidental grammar where the who-which clause, if they insert a who or which in their sentence, that steals the verb and they have now a fragment and they need to fix it. So catching them doing that.
0: Well, and I like to say, you know, I've always said this from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. I think our style checklist really teaches grammar kind of surreptitiously. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's easier to do a dependent adverb clause than to say those three words when you're nine years old, right? right? So I tend to be very happy with whatever they want to write about, Mm -hmm. even if it's kind of weird or doesn't make sense to me, because I don't live in that world. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of things like kids who want to write about their video games, Mm -hmm. right? And I I don't know that stuff, so I just basically have to trust, well, if it makes sense to them, well, then it makes sense to somebody, but maybe not me. (laughs) Or, you know, you get kids who have an experience and they want to tell you about it, but they don't have all the pieces of that experience Mm -hmm. lined up in order to make it a really solid narrative, but they're still excited about you know, their trip to Assateague Island or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'd never been there. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I kind of have to trust. So part of, I think, teaching children in that age range, we'll call it elementary, is just trusting mm-hmm. and not worrying and realizing it's okay. They're still young. Right. And, you know, I think all almost all of us parents, teachers too, who have a lot of experience with young children – Kind of like, okay, it's cute. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make sense or mm-hmm. it's not exactly what I would have done, but it's cute.
1: Right, right. And,
0: and I used to carry around a bit of prejudice against things that were too weird, mm. right? Just because I'm so grown up and logical and I want to impose. And then one day I was suffering through a Veggie Tales episode <laughs> and I thought, Hold on, this is the most ridiculous thing I have ever seen—a mm-hmm. cucumber singing a song about "Where's My Hairbrush?" Mm-hmm. And I thought,
1: "Careful now!" All of our listeners have that song in their right, head. Right? But I'm—you know—I'm thinking
0: <laughs> this thing, mm-hmm. Veggie Tales, mm-hmm. was created by adults, right? So, and they're millionaires. Okay, so uh, maybe I'm. I'm just too narrow. Mm-hmm. And I, I took that idea. And then when I saw, you know, t- kids, even 11, 12 years mm-hmm. old, just writing the weirdest stuff, Right. I think back and I think, well, okay, VeggieTales, SpongeBob, you know, Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote. I mean, these are all goofy things created by adults that. Could reach into mm-hmm. the imagination of children right. for better or worse. Right. I don't know. Right. So, I thought I don't want to stifle that. Right. Right. If 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 I've got a student who's got this wild imagination and comes up with these ideas I could never think of myself, who am I to mentally mm-hmm. criticize? I should right. I should embrace that. I should relish that. I should cultivate that. Yeah. But it does require. Hands-off.
1: Right. Hands-off content. There you you go again. Okay, so you mentioned cute. We're about to graduate out of the cute age (laughs) into the awkward age. Yeah,
0: awkward is a word I hear from parents, probably more than teachers, Mm because teachers spend so much time with kids in a certain age group, they Mm -hmm. just kind of get used to it a little more. But parents, especially if it's the first child growing up, You know, it's kind of like they go through this, okay, it's cute, it's cute, it's cute. It's a little less cute, but it's still okay. And then there's this one day, usually happens right around 12 years old, when you just, that's not cute anymore. That doesn't make sense. That's a dumb idea. That is not what we're trying to accomplish here because now the clock is ticking, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We only have so many years before this child has to be ready for college or ready for life in general, Mm -hmm. and this kind of nonsensical way Mm -hmm. of doing words on paper is just not going to fly in the real world. Right. (laughs) And so that's when you see kind of that angst coming through. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'll be at a convention. I'm sure you've, you've had this happen at a few conventions. Someone will come up to me, and they'll say, Well, you know, we've been using your writing program for almost a year now, and I'm a little worried about my daughter's writing because it's just, it's just, it's just awkward. My first question, and I'm always the Socratic, I mean, Mm -hmm. I always, almost always answer a question with a question, you know, just to find out what I can before I, you know, access my great You know, treasury of wisdom. Mm -hmm. My first question is, how old Mm -hmm. is this child? Mm -hmm. And most of the time, it's somewhere around 12 and a half. Mm -hmm. Well, she's 12 and a half. Or I like this one, she's a rising sixth grader. Okay. I don't know where this comes from. No one has ever said to me, he's a falling (laughs) sixth grader, a lowering sixth Uh grader, you know, but this idea, okay. In sixth grade, but we're looking forward. Well, that's mm-hmm. what we're always doing. Sure. I mean, every kid right. in the world wants to be a year older. Sure, yeah. But then I would say, okay, so think for a moment about 12-year-olds. Now, obviously, there are a few exceptions out there. Mm-hmm. But safely, we can say, in general, mm-hmm. they're awkward. Yes. They look awkward. They talk awkwardly. They sometimes walk and move awkwardly. Mm-hmm. They feel awkward. They feel awkward about feeling awkward. Really, everything about them is awkward. Why would you not expect their writing to be a bit awkward? That would actually be normal for that age. But, you know, I think it's just that subtle anxiousness about, oh, no, you -hmm. know, this is adolescence and pretty quick, they're going to be teenagers and then they've got to do, you know, adult stuff. Right. And it has to happen on my schedule. That way I won't have anxiety about it. Right, right. But those of us who have raised children to adulthood are very aware that almost nothing happens on our schedule.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's true.
0: And, you know, it, it, it reminds me of Suzuki. Mm. You know, he, he used to say, you can't yell at a plant and make it grow, mm-hmm. right? You can't just say, plant, you must grow now. Right. What do you do? You give it sunshine, you be sure the soil is good, you water it, and, you know, if you want to get esoteric, you can think positive thoughts and love your plants.
1: <laughs> Play music. <laughs> well, there is some research <laughs> on that side,
0: but, but you can't force it. Mm-hmm. And he used that to say it's the same thing when you're teaching children music. You know, you, you can lead, but you can't push, you can't right. pull, you can't force it. Right. Um, you can do all those things that will nurture, that will cultivate. Mm-hmm. And so I really, you know, have, I think, come to the point where, you know, I can live that. And what what's my watering? Hey, here's a source text that's great. You know, what's the soil? Okay, here's the model. You can mm-hmm. you can do it this way, and let's make an outline together so you nobody gets stuck not knowing what to do next. And right. you know, here's the sunshine. Here's a checklist and some fun stuff you can do. Mm-hmm. And I can give all those things, but I, but plants grow at different speeds, mm-hmm. even even when all the external conditions are similar or identical.
1: There's something about the DNA of that particular seed. You yeah, know?
0: and it doesn't mean you know one is better than the other. Mm-hmm. It's just everything in the universe is perfectly made to be different than everything else in the universe, and also the same hmm. as everything like it. Hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And and this is not you know a, a unique or original kind of thought, but mm-hmm. you know you consider all the leaves of a tree. Every oak leaf is different from every other oak leaf no matter how many billions of them there have been. Yep. But they all share the perfect structure of an oak leaf. Mm-hmm. But some are bigger, some are smaller, mm-hmm. some are healthier, some are not. Mm-hmm. You know, some fall sooner, some fall later. Mm-hmm. But they're all oak leaves. And you know, dogs are like that, people are like that. We're all the same, but we're all different. And once we get that into our brain, then teaching becomes much more of an adventure, mm-hmm. our adventure to say, okay, what's going to happen with these kids? Right, And I get to share in their life for this period of time, whether it's your own kids and 18, 20, 25 mm-hmm. years, or whatever, yep. or whether it's kids I meet over the right. course of one week mm-hmm. or one day. Mm-hmm. And that's a joy. That's the adventure of teaching.
1: So, you know, just to follow our progression, those high school students who are now on the cusp of, quote, real-life expectations different in their writing that you would have? I well, mean, it's starting to get real now. It's starting to get real. Now it's already real.
0: You know, one time this woman walked up to me at, at a conference. It was in Atlanta, and I had just given a talk. It was a big room, a couple thousand people. It was a good event. and She was kind of following, stalking me, and mm-hmm. she finally caught me and said, mm-hmm. oh, God, I'm dying to ask you a question. Okay, shoot. Mm-hmm. She said, what would you expect from an eighth grader in writing? Mm -hmm. Okay. I know nothing about this child. Boy, girl, reader, not so keen on reading, high aptitude, not, um, homeschool for a long time, just came out of a school, mildly dyslexic. I I know nothing about this child except this child is probably approximately 13 years old. Mm -hmm. And I was tempted. Mm -hmm. To say, oh, well, I would think an eighth grader should surely be able to do a – Six or seven paragraph expanded essay with an introduction that has an attention-getting device, gives appropriate background information, states a thesis if that's appropriate to the subject matter, and enumerates the three topics. Then, of course, or four or five topics, I should say, since it's a six or seven paragraph. Then each of those body paragraphs would have a topic sentence and clincher sentence, repeat or reflect two to three keywords. Uh, there would be, you know, an appropriate number, six, maybe seven details, and then there would be... Just, Uh, the judicious use of different stylistic techniques, such as word usages, sentence patterns, maybe the occasional literary device, and then a conclusion that would, you know, reiterate the thesis as well as uh, restating the topics, and then end with something like a call to action or stating an amplification, what's the most important and why, and if your student can't do that well i would highly recommend our right <laughs> i mean i was tempted but that's not the right thing to say because i know nothing mm-hmm. and so what i i I, get, I think i said a little prayer like what does this woman need to hear mm-hmm. and what i did say was i would i would expect an eighth grader to do his or her best that's the only thing that even makes sense at all mm-hmm. because you know if you expect someone to do less than their best, then that's probably what you get. And and if you don't expect someone to do their best, then what are you expecting? That they will do more than their best? Well, that's not possible for anyone. So, you know, that's the only expectation that's reasonable. Now, will every student always do their best? No. Do I always do my best? No. I have bad days. I get tired. I get mm. crabby. I get lazy but you know that's the expectation right and and then where you go from there is based on where what what is that student's experience level what is their ability at that moment mm-hmm. the most important thing isn't where is a student in relation to other students what's most important is where is that student in relation to themselves right you know so have they improved over this school year or mm-hmm. whatever your measurement mm-hmm. is? And, you know, that, that's not something that can be quantified very easily, but should it be? Right? Can't we do a qualitative assessment mm. and take a writing sample at the beginning of the year and then teach however we're going to teach mm-hmm. and take a writing sample at the end and just put them side by side and, and then say – what do we notice mm-hmm. that's different here right. and uh, you know that's the best way to go but we've we've got into this kind of world where we're compulsively thinking mm-hmm. that we have to be sure our kid or our students are not behind right. some other students and it's just it it just doesn't work especially mm-hmm. in something like writing which is far less objective than something like math or mm-hmm. memorizing lists of things, mm-hmm. you know, it's mm-hmm. right or wrong or it's black and white, you know it or you don't. So, you know, that, that's a little story I tell in that talk because mm-hmm. the fourth of the deadly errors is over expectation. Right. But what I have noticed is sometimes that awkwardness or that lack of refinement persists longer than a parent is able to, you know, be comfortable with. So I also have stories of kids at 15 or 16 still. Yep. And and what do you do? You can't just make them right. smarter. You can't just say, make more sense. Right. You can model. You can give mm-hmm. suggestions. You can keep
1: mm-hmm. the
0: sunshine and the soil and the water. Right. But what I have seen is that even sometimes as late as 16, 17, 18, it does all start to click. Yep. And I would challenge anyone, if you still have anything like this, go find something you wrote when you were 16 or 17 <laughs> or 18 or 19, end of high school, beginning of college, and read it now right. when you're you know, 30 or 40 or 60. And you will think, wow, mm-hmm. that was pretty shallow mm-hmm. and immature and not who I am now.
1: Yep, yep.
0: So we grow. We grow through our whole life.
1: Yep, yep. Well, Andrew, this has been a great podcast. I personally really enjoyed this. I love hearing you retell stories that I have heard before. (laughs) (laughs) I was actually hoping that you would talk about that convention and doing his or her best, because I think so many teachers and parents just need to know that, that I really do believe, and I know you do too, of course you wouldn't say it, that that's really what kids want. They want to do their very best. And
0: and they need to be believed in. Yep. I think if we look back and we say, who are the teachers that I love? Mm-hmm. Who are the teachers that I learned the most from? It's the same teachers. Yep. And you could also say, who are the teachers who believed in me? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. Yep. Yep. And, you know, there have been a lot of kids who came out of kind of a a school type of environment of some sort and are now at home mm-hmm. or they're in online instruction or yeah. a hybrid school or something very different. And it's almost like they may have a little bit of PTSD mm-hmm. from years of not being trusted, yeah. not being believed, not yeah. being, you know, loved yeah. in that sense of of not constantly judged mm-hmm. And so they have to kind of go through withdrawal in order to trust that someone else is now going to trust them to do their best. Because, you know, a lot of kids in school, they learn the game. What you're supposed to do here is do as little as possible and still get grades as good as possible. Right. That's the game we play. Right. And you take that game away from them, and now they have to figure out what are the rules of this new world. Right. And... I have found you can almost never err on trusting too much.
1: Yeah, that was very good. Thank you, Andrew.
0: My pleasure.
1: Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudoi and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.